G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at a new book, the book of Habakkuk for uh, today and for next Sunday. Uh, can I encourage you to have Habakkuk chapter one open? We're going to look at chapters one and two. We're going to read them and we're going to think about what they mean and how they apply to us as Christians. There's also an outline on the service program. Let's pray. We'll ask God to, to help us as we look at his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us your word. We pray that we will be able to understand now what Habakkuk is saying so that we know how to rightly ask our questions of you. Give us humility, give us understanding, and give us a heart that really wants to love and obey you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe in Jesus. I do. I really do. I, I reckon the eyewitness testimony of the apostles is convincing in the New Testament. I, I do believe Jesus, uh, Jesus lived here on earth, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose again from the dead. And so I believe what Jesus says. There is a God, uh, a, a good God, a, a powerful God, a God who made me a God who sustains me, a God who will judge me, a God who also loves me, a God who forgives me through the death and resurrection of Jesus, a God who will, will welcome me into heaven if I rely on Jesus, a God I should love now and, and obey now and worship now. I, I believe it's true. But I do have lots of questions, lots of things I, I, I cannot understand especially when it comes to the issue of, of, of suffering and injustice. I have lots of questions about suffering and injustice. If, if God really is good and loving, why did he make this world the way it is? Why did he make it with all this injustice and suffering? I know it's a function of our sin and God's judgment, but, but why did he allow sin to, to enter the world in the first place? And I know people talk about free will, but, but I take it we're going to have free will in heaven and yet there we're not going to sin. Why couldn't just do, God do that in the first place? Why, why couldn't he make us that way in the first place? Here's another question that troubles me. If Jesus is real, why doesn't anyone believe it? Why is it that the vast majority of people don't know about Jesus or believe in Jesus? Why would God create the, the vast majority of people in this world only to judge and destroy them? Where's the love in that? Where's the justice in that? Where's, what's, what's the point of that? If you say, if you tell me I need to look to the cross for God's justice, I say, yes, amen. But, but again, why? Why does God need to come to, to, to this world in the person of Jesus and suffer and die to appease his own sense of justice over a sinful creation that he made in the first place? Or if, if, if you tell me, look to Judgment Day and, and wait for justice then, and then it'll all be okay again, it leaves all kinds of questions. If hell is anywhere near as bad as it seems, it seems to me to be out of all proportion. The, the, the punishment seems to be so much worse than the crime. How is it that God or anyone in heaven is going to live happily ever after while the vast majority of people through world history suffer under God's wrath and punishment? 
What a terrible world we live in. Most people, most people live short, miserable lives, and then they die without trusting Jesus and face the judgment and wrath of God. Why? What was God thinking? Where's the, where's the justice? Where, where's the love? I, be, I believe in Jesus, and, and I'll stick with him, but, but the sad and the brutal reality of this world, it makes me wonder. I have, I have lots of questions. So what should I do? What should I do with my questions? How should I, how should I live with my questions? Are you like me? Do you have any, any of the sorts of questions that, that I have? What do you do with your questions? The year was somewhere around 600 BC. The Babylonian Empire had defeated the Assyrian Empire and they were pursuing a policy of expansion. They were conquering nations all around them. At the time... A man called Habakkuk lived in the country of Judah. Now, Judah were supposed to be God's special people. They were, they were supposed to be ruled by, by godly and just kings, kings from the line, the family of King David. But as Habakkuk looks around at his contemporaries, that's not what he saw. He didn't see God's faithful people living under faithful Davidic kings. No, no. As Habakkuk looked around, what he saw was injustice and violence and suffering. He saw wicked people prospering, while those who tried to follow God's law, those who tried to live as God's people, they were exploited and they were abused. Habakkuk looks around. He cannot understand why God would let things be like this. And so what he does, he asks God about it. He brings his question to God. That, that's what this book of Habakkuk is. It's Habakkuk asking God two questions. And amazingly and, and uniquely, God answers Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's questions. God answers Habakkuk. And so in that sense, this, this book is a prophecy. It's, it's a message from God. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. Now, Habakkuk starts off by asking God his first question. He says, He says, God... Why aren't you answering my prayers? I keep telling you how terrible it is here. I keep telling you how bad things are in Judah. I keep telling you how corrupt it is. I keep telling you how unjust it all is. I keep asking you to come and intervene, sort it out. God, why aren't you doing anything? Verse 2. Verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. 
answers Habakkuk. And he says this, he says, I am doing something. God says, I'm going to raise up the Babylonians, a terrible, powerful people. They are going to come and they are going to violently devour Judah. Verse 5. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreadful people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honour. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They come all intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them till they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. You following so far? Habakkuk's first question. God, what are you going to do about all this sin here in Judah? And God's answer? I'm raising up the Babylonians. They're going to devour violently and enslave Judah. But that leads Habakkuk to a second question. He says, hang on, Babylon? They're worse than we are. They're worse than the people of Judah. They are vicious. They are cruel. They are wicked. They are idolaters who worship themselves and their weapons. How is it possible that you could judge wicked Judah by sending an even more wicked nation to destroy us? How can that be just? How can that be holy? Verse 12. Verse 12, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You've made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creature that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and he's glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? Habakkuk has asked his question, and now he waits for God to answer. Chapter 2 and verse 1. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Do you get Habakkuk's second question? Babylon is more wicked than Judah. They, they, they don't worship God at all. They're idolaters. So, so how can God use Babylon to bring Judah to justice? God says, Habakkuk, I want you to write this down. Because he says, it's not going to happen straight away. This is something that will happen. It, it won't delay. But the answer won't be fully revealed until the end. Verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. 
It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and, and will not delay. And God then says this. He says, he says, Habakkuk, there are two kinds of people in the world. First, there are God's enemies. They're puffed up with pride and their desires are not upright. They don't want to worship or serve God. They want to worship and serve themselves. Verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. You've got God's proud enemies. But then on the other hand, you've got God's people, the righteous. And God says, the thing about these people, the thing about God's righteous people, the thing about, the thing about them is they live by their faithfulness. Now that word, translated faithfulness, it's, it's actually the word from which we get the word amen. When we say amen at the end of a prayer, what do we mean? What do we mean? We mean, yes, I, I, I stand with you. I, I, I agree with your prayer. Now, this word, amunah, it's a bit similar. It means, it means firmness, steadfastness, fidelity. So, in context here, what does it mean to live by faithfulness? Well, in the context of Habakkuk, God is saying to Habakkuk, he's saying, my people... They're not going to be proud and puffed up. My people will trust me. They'll stand with me even if they don't understand what's going on, even if they can't see what I'm doing. They're not going to be puffed up and demand an answer. No, no, they're going to say, Amen. I'm, I'm with you, God. No matter what, even if I don't get it, I will steadfastly trust you to the very end. That makes sense of Habakkuk's questions, doesn't it? Habakkuk can't understand why God is, is, is not judging Judah now and then will judge Judah with Babylon. He can't understand why God's doing what he's doing. He's questioning God's justice. He's questioning God's holiness. But here's God's challenge. It's the enemies of God who are proud and puffed up. It's the enemies of God who live for themselves. It's the enemies of God who, who say, well, I refuse to trust you unless I'm satisfied that you do things the way I think you should do them. It's the puffed up enemies of God who think they know better than God how to run his universe. But God's people, they, they humble themselves before God. They don't think they're smarter than God. And, and they care more about God and his glory than they do about their own, their own agenda. So what do they do? They, they let God be God and they trust him. And, and they firmly, steadfastly trust him. They stick with him no matter what. They live by faithfulness. Verse 4 again. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. God then gives his answer to Habakkuk's second question. Uh, what's going to happen to the Babylonians? Well, God says the Babylonians are wicked. They are arrogant. They are greedy. They are terrible. They are idolaters, but they're not going to get away with it forever. The day is coming when those who have suffered at the hands of Babylon will taunt them. Verse 5. Indeed, 
Wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and take cap takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn? Babylon's enemies will taunt them. And they'll taunt them, God says, with four woes. Four woes. First woe. First woe. Plundering Babylon will be plundered. Verse 6. Will not all of them taunt them with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods, who makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Plundering Babylon will be plundered. Second woe. Unjust Babylon will be shamed and killed. Verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Third woe. Violent Babylon will fail. She, she reckons she's going to rule the world. But the day is coming when God will rule the world once and for all. When, when, when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the glory uh, 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 of the glory, with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea, Babylon are not going to rule forever. God is going to rule forever with all his enemies defeated. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then fourth woe, fourth woe, disgraceful Babylon will be disgraced. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. God finishes this section by saying that he is the only true God. You can make up a God. You can build your own God, a God that, 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 you, that you can understand, a God that, that uh, you can boss around, a God that you can instruct to serve you, a God who has to answer to you. Think about made-up gods, though. They're made up. They're false. They're idols. They can't do anything. Verse 18. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies for the one who makes it trust in his own creation? He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The real God is not like an idol. He is God. And he doesn't have to answer to you. And so there comes a point, if you want to worship the real God, there comes a point 
there comes a point where you just need to shut up and trust him. Verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. All right. Can you see what's here in Habakkuk chapters 1 to 2? Habakkuk asks God a question. Why is you doing anything about all this injustice in Judah? God answers, I am doing something. I'm bringing the Babylonians to destroy them. Which leads to Habakkuk's second question. The Babylonians are worse than we are. How can it be just to destroy a wicked people, Judah, with an even more wicked people, Babylon? God's second answer, Habakkuk, there are two kinds of people in this world. God's proud enemies and God's righteous people who humble themselves and trust him, who stick with him faithfully even when they don't know all the answers. God then says, Babylon's time will come. They'll be destroyed. And then God finishes by saying, Habakkuk, idols are false and useless. I'm the only true God. I know better than you how to run my universe. And there comes a point where you and all the earth, you just need to shut up and trust me. Okay. Okay, well, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. Friends, I think this passage is really helpful for us, particularly when we have the, the, the kinds of questions and concerns and doubts that Habakkuk had, the, the kinds of questions and concerns and doubts that I was talking about at the beginning. What do we do with our questions? What do we do when we when we can't understand why God acts the way he does? What do we do when we're tempted to think we know better than him how to run his universe? Well, this book of Habakkuk, it shows us we can bring our questions to God. We're probably not going to get a direct prophetic answer like he did, but, but we can bring our questions to God. God's not offended that Habakkuk asks. We can bring our questions, but, but most importantly, most importantly, Habakkuk reminds us that we can ask our questions from two different positions. Let, let, let me try to illustrate. Imagine, imagine you're, um, you're drowning in the ocean. The, the waves are gradually going over your head. The sharks are circling with, with, with hungry looks on their faces. A boat comes past and a person on the boat sees you and they, they offer to throw you a rope and bring you on board. Now, from where you are in the water, you can't see that boat terribly well. You aren't sure exactly how seaworthy it is. You don't know what the crew is like. You're not sure what food they serve. You're not too clear on what the, the onboard entertainment options are. You, you have plenty of questions about this boat. If 
thing is, though, you can ask your questions from two positions. Uh, you can stay in the water. Ask your questions from there. Uh, you can say, I'm not coming on board that boat until I know who you are. And I want to know what's for dinner on Saturday night. You can ask your questions from the, from the water. Not that safe, though. Or alternatively, you can let them rescue you. Come on board. And once you're safely on board, ask your questions then. If not all your questions are answered, or if, you, if they're not answered to your satisfaction, if you know, they're serving haggis on Saturday night or something like that, you, again, you've got an option. You can jump overboard, or you can stay aboard and live with a bit of uncertainty and a bit of even dissatisfaction until, until you get safely to shore. Friend, like me, you might have all kinds of questions for God. There might be lots of things you don't understand, lots of things that not the way you would do it. You might question God's justice. You might question God's power. You might not know why God does things the way he does. But what Habakkuk gets us to think about is this. Are you asking from the water? Are you asking as a proud enemy of God? Are you asking as someone who thinks they know better than God how to run his universe? Are you asking as someone who refuses to trust God unless he answers your questions to your satisfaction? That's a dangerous place to ask, friend. Or are you asking from on board? Because, friend, God is offering to bring you on board his ship, so to speak. He is offering to make you, to use Habakkuk's words, righteous through Jesus. He's, he's offering to make you one of his saved people. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, it is possible for you to be rescued from the sin and judgment in which we naturally stand, to be part of God's people. And, and, and then once you put your faith in Jesus, once you become God's righteous person, well, you can ask your questions from there. You, know, you can ask as one of his forgiven, cleansed children. But friends, as you ask, remember this, God's righteous people, they live by their faithfulness. They will say amen to God and his ways even when they don't understand even if all their questions don't get answered. They will, they will trust God and they will stick with him and they'll stay on the boat no matter what. They, they are willing to, to, to stand in humble silence before the true God rather than make up an idol that, that they can understand or manipulate. They're willing to stick with the true God and trust him. Friends, I'm sure we all have our questions. And, and I trust that on that last day we'll see there are good answers. On the last day we'll see it. But I, can I encourage you? On the basis of this book, on the basis of Habakkuk, ask your questions from on board. Put your faith in Jesus. Become God's person. And then, and then 
as you ask your questions, humbly stick with God, even if, we're, even if they're not answered to your satisfaction here on earth. Friend, be a righteous person who lives by your faithfulness. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because you're God. You're the real God. You're the true God. You're the God who made this whole universe. You're the God who made us. And we trust that you're a God who knows what you're doing better than we do. So, Father, do please forgive us and cleanse us through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make us your righteous people and then help us as your people to live by faithfulness, to trust you, to stick with you, to say amen to you and to your ways no matter what. Father, we have many questions to ask you, but help us to do so with humility and with trust as your righteous people. Father, strengthen in this Strengthen us in this by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.